And if you're brand new to Northlands, just again, a special welcome to you. My name is Tyler. I'm part of the Northlands family here. And we are so glad that you are with us today. You have caught us at uh, just a very unique and incredible time uh, for the life of our church. Uh, we're, we're really excited about this conversation around just one. And I have to be careful. Uh, as a team, we were talking about this in preparation for it. And we wanted to be careful not to call this uh, set of messages a sermon series. Uh, not because there's anything wrong with series, but because it implies that this is uh, a, a beginning, middle, and end. And what we want to say is that this conversation around just one is not a, a series that we're in, but it's a launching pad for the season that God has called us into as a church. It is incredibly, incredibly uh, unique. And and where I want to begin, if you're, if you're new to Northlands, there's a phrase that we use pretty often here at Northlands that, that I want to just highlight for us and, and kind of explain what it means. And it's uh, to govern to the prophetic. Uh, we say this often, especially in our leadership, but you might have heard this at a community group. Uh, what we mean by that is, is biblically what we see in Scripture is that the highest form of governance in a local church context uh, are elders and deacons. But we want to recognize as elders and deacons of Northlands that we are in a role of stewardship, and that's different from being the leader. Uh, Jesus is building his church, and he gave us the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us. And as a leadership team, we are stewards of this role, which means what we do here as we lead the community, it is temporary, and we're held accountable for how we lead. So we want to be incredibly careful about the way in which we lead here at Northlands and, and in what we call our community to do and accomplish uh, in our city. And so we say we govern to the prophetic. What we mean is we are led by the Holy Spirit about what is his will and his good pleasure for us as a community and for what he wants to accomplish in our city. And I bring that up because uh, we found ourselves in a unique space. We, we do our very best to, to uh, plan and to create projects and programs that help us fulfill our mission, which is right there on the back wall, about building churches that transform lives by helping people experience the gospel of grace and the power of the Holy Spirit. We are in life transformation. That is what we do. And sometimes, often, we'll, we'll plan uh, different conferences and events and things that we want to accomplish, including a sermon series. And we had a great series planned uh, right after Easter. It was going to be great. We might still do it. I don't know. But what happened was we had an elders and deacons meeting like we do on a monthly basis. And in that meeting, we start every single elders and deacons meeting the exact same way. I've been on teams since 2012. I've never been to a meeting that has not started differently. Uh, we take about 45 minutes to an hour, if not longer, to wait on the Lord and say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying for Northlands? And when you ask that question, he will answer you. And I've never been in a place where he hasn't. And so we, we often have prophetic words, statements about the church, who we're called to be. But we had a meeting last month and it was unique. It was incredibly uh, different. This has happened before in our history. And when it does, it helps us perk up our ears and go, Holy Spirit, what is it that you want us to accomplish? And so just to paint the picture, to kind of put you in that meeting, uh, we had about 20 to 23 households represented in our elders and our current deacon team, uh, all Zooming together because... YOLO 2020, we're on the Zoom now, here we go. And, and in that time, we prayed and we were waiting on the Holy Spirit. And, and I'm telling you, we, we felt like we heard a significant and clear word from the Lord. And what I mean by that is it wasn't just one or two people. There were three key words that helped produce what we're talking about when we say just one. And each of those words were brought by not just one or two, but five or six households at a time. 
And so I wanna talk about those three words because they launch us into not just talking about what we're talking about with just one, but where we're going as a church uh, for the next season. So that first word that we heard, again, many, many households spoke into this. The first word that we heard was acceleration. And you'll see that come up. We, we heard, saw pictures and we heard the word again, acceleration, acceleration. The first word here of acceleration is the Lord saying, this is what I'm going to do at Northlands. This is what I'm doing in the city of Norcross. And the second word, the Lord is saying, you know what the work that I'm accelerating, that I'm bringing about, and it's coming in fast. We're already seeing it happen. It's happening now as we speak. The second word is salvations. This is only what God can do and accomplish. This is not, man cannot save man. Only God can accomplish this. And God is saying, in this season and time that we are in, I am going to woo men and women's hearts to myself. And you're going to see mass salvations. We saw, uh, we heard many words about, there are gonna be groups of people coming and people groups outside of our city that we are called to reach with the gospel. Now, this third word is in light of what God is going to accomplish, acceleration and salvation. The third word is for us. The Lord is saying, in light of what I am going to do, Northland's church, here's what I want you to do. I want you to prepare yourself, prepare to receive the harvest. This is what I'm accomplishing, and this is what we are committed to do. So you wanna know what the Just One series is about, that series of messages, the season that we're launching into? That word right there, prepare to receive, Northlands. This is what we're about. And so today, I wanna talk a lot about preparing to receive and preparing our lives to be ready for what God is going to accomplish in our lives. And I wanna do that as practically as I possibly can. Last week, Greg launched us into this conversation of Just One. And if you were here, you'll remember, he gave us one clear word. He said, here's what we're doing. When we say Just One, we want every single message every single regular attender here at Northlands to be prepared for this. We want you to pursue the heart of just one because God is pursuing the hearts of men in our city. They are on the forefront of his mind and he's saying, Northlands Church, I want them to be on the forefront of your mind as well. And so Greg said, this is what we're gonna do. We're going to make a disciple. We're called to go into all nations. I'm not called to reach every single person in every single nation. We are called to preach the gospel. And the first baby step to seeing that accomplished is for you to pursue the heart of just one. There's power in pursuing just one. Next week, Greg, or, uh, Tom is gonna continue the conversation and he's gonna talk about who is your, or you, you need to find out who is your uh, who. That, Tom's gonna fix that next week, I promise you. All the words around it. He wants to talk about who we are called to reach. If Greg was talking about the what, Tom is gonna talk about the who. And today I wanna talk about how. I wanna talk about how we prepare to receive. And so to make that as practically as I possibly can, if Greg said, hey, go and make a disciple, here's my single point that I wanna lay before us today. What we can do here at Northland's Church to prepare to receive is this, make space. Let us make space. Greg said this, this is why it's so important about, uh, about governing to the prophetic or being led by the Holy Spirit. Here's, here's my, my concern is that why governing to the prophetic is so important is God has said, I'm accelerating and I'm bringing about salvations. And, and Greg, if you remember last week, he talked about the maternity ward. He says, it's time for us to make this place, make this space like a maternity ward because there are gonna be people who have never been in church before. There are gonna be people who have never heard the gospel before. There are gonna be people who have never even considered things of spirituality, not just coming through our doors, but in our city that we are called to reach. And he's saying, set the house up to receive these young baby Christians as the scriptures would, they're gonna be born again and they need people to care for them with gentleness. And here's why governing to the prophetic is so important. Let's just take that maternity ward, that delivery center uh, analogy. Let's say we're sitting in the waiting room of that space. We're flipping through a magazine. We're waiting for our family member who's about to give birth to a child. And all of a sudden, 
a woman rushes out on a gurney being led by four or five doctors. She's screaming at the top of her lungs, the baby's coming, the baby's coming. The doctors go, let's rush her into room three, just like ER, Grey's Anatomy. And, and, and what happens there is now that might take us back. We might go, well, that's, that's exciting. But we're not thrown off by it. Why? Because of where we are. This type of action is appropriate if you're in a delivery center. Now, let's assume that same picture, but let's say that we're in a library or a museum or a coffee shop, and that happens. Woman rushes into the, oh, the baby's coming, the baby's coming. George Clooney rushes out. I'm going old school ER, the good one. And, and he comes out, and he's like, get him into room three, get him into room three. And you're in a library. Now, what would be crazy is you go, you go that's absurd. Am I being punked right now? And what would concern me is that governing the prophetic, the reason it's so important is because if we think that we're in a library, when the work of the Lord comes, we might miss what he is doing and think that it's strange. And God forbid we even resist it and say, that's not what he's doing. And you go, Tyler, that would never happen. And I'm going, they were Pharisees, y'all. <laughs> and they were all about doing the work of God and doing church. And the Messiah, Jesus comes and he walks right in front of them. And not only did they miss that this was the work of God, but they resisted it to the point of crucifying and saying that can't possibly be what God is about. And so for us, the reason we, we put such a presence, the reason we're pausing for three weeks and going, this is what we need to be focusing on is because I want to be a part of the work of God in my generation. And I believe that this is the beginning of something incredibly, incredibly special. And so let's be about what matters most. And Here's what, I, here's what I have found. If I, if I could re just remind us, I don't know how your 2020 was. Did anything big happen in your year? Anything, anything big? Uh, Nicole and I, we said, man, it's so, it's so unique, 2020, because literally the entire world had the same experience at the same time. Not that we didn't have, we all had different experiences of how we handled it, but all of us know what COVID-19 is across the planet. It's pretty bizarre. And, and, and so, so what we wanna do is, is last, last year, I remember this distinctly. I told Nicole, I said, you know what COVID has done for me? as we came into this year, rather, I said, I would not want to go back to 2020 for a million dollars. I would not want to go back for a million dollars, but I wouldn't trade who I've become because of 2020 for a million dollars. I go, a lot of us had really, really, really hard years. And a lot of us have grown significantly because of my wife, who pretty much writes all my sermons, she, I put them together and she just goes, let's say it like this instead, Tyler. We're <laughs> don't act like you don't have a spouse. She's like, hey, why don't we do it like this instead? And you're like, that's great. That's great. If I preach a good message today, go thank Nicole. She said, you know what, as we were talking about this point, she said, you know what crisis does for us is it clarifies like nothing else. It clarifies like nothing else. When I say making space, what I'm talking about is to, to make space in our life like last year did. You didn't have time to do anything but the essentials of your life. If you were working a 13 hour shift at a hospital, you made space in your life, not for the, the non-essential, you didn't have time for any non-essential fluff stuff. Like some of us are like, I just need a latte every single morning or I'll just die. And you're like, that had to go away significantly in 2020. That wasn't essential. And so what I have found is that, that last year, it was a revealer of many things for us. And it, it made us create space in our life to focus on the things that matter most. Some of us were f financially strapped, furloughed, lost our jobs. And when you're in that mode, every dollar that you spend, it matters tremendously. And it causes you to make space. And I believe that this prophetic word is very similar to what COVID did for us last year. Is it is, called, it is Lord saying, hey, Northlands, 
this is what matters most to me, is the one who leaves the 99, the prodigal son. I am the father who looks out on the horizon and I care for the one. This matters to my heart. And this prophetic word for us is a call to reset. Once again, be reminded. Let's talk about what matters most. And in order to talk about what matters most, we have to make space in our life. This message is not a call for you to do just one more thing. This is a call for you to do less so that you can focus your life on what matters most and what matters most to the heart of God. This is what we mean when we say make space for just one. I have found this to be the case as I think about it. It is not easy to find one sheep among a hundred, but if you make space between the 99 and the one, it becomes abundantly clear who we should be going after. And this is what God wants to do in this time with us. So what does that look like practically? As a church, making space here at Northlands, what does it look like to make space at Northlands? If you're a member here, if, you're, if you regularly attend, all I mean is that if you've been a part of Northlands for any number of weeks and you kind of know what's going on, your toddlers are like a secret club. No, all I mean is this, is that if you go onto autopilot, as soon as you walk in the doors, you know what's going on. Like we've, we've, registered our, we've registered our families, we walk in, the ushers go, you're gonna sit over here. You go, great, you just like put in your code to check in your kid. You go get a coffee at the front lobby. You know where the bathrooms are. You don't even have to talk to anybody before you get to your seat. You know what's going on in Northlands. We have to make space because we are going to have people in our house who have no idea what's happening and they need a guide. They need somebody to gently walk with them and say, hey, I see you, can I help you? We need to show hospitality and generosity and kindness because there are people that are coming in who are VIPs, the ones that God values the most and they should value the most to us. I remember uh, I, a couple of years back, I started uh, working out at a gym with my, my friends, Stephen and uh, David Murray, and they go, this is, they're just liars. Uh, just sorry, brother. <laughs> they go, Tyler, you should come join the gym and be a part of the class that we lead. And I go, okay, guys, but is it a CrossFit class? Because I really don't know that I'm, I'm cut out for this whole CrossFit thing. And no, 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 it's not a CrossFit thing. And what they meant by that was that they copyright of the word CrossFit, they weren't allowed to legally use. So what they were doing is they were using CrossFit, but just calling it something else. And I remember walking into that gym for the first time and I'm surrounded by American gladiators. Uh, if I wouldn't embarrass, I'd be like, Steven, stand up and show everybody. It's like, I walk in and it's not shoulder to shoulder because it's like, they're all up here. And I'm just like, hey guys, I want to try something else besides cardio. And uh, just was thinking maybe, uh, I know I, I'm, I'm lanky, but I'm, I'm also spry. Uh, and, and I remember the, the feeling of going in and there's 40 something people in there and I'm brand new to that environment. I'm going, I was incredibly uncomfortable because I had no idea what was going on. And more than that, it looked very apparent that Tyler has no idea what's going on. David comes to me, he goes, he goes, Tyler, man, you keep throwing up that bar really well. Eventually, I'm gonna tell you how to do it the right way so you don't kill your back. I go, why aren't you telling me now? He's like, oh, you'll learn. I mean, you gotta learn. And so I, I, it, what it took was uh, uh, men coming around me and going, hey, man, we, thanks so much for being here. Can we just, can, let's just show you around. Let, let, let's just come in. And they, they eased me into that space. And I believe, Northlands, we are called, this house is called to be for the foreseeable future a maternity ward. We are going to walk with a level of grace and patience and a slow rolling walkabout. When we walk into our church, we're gonna be looking for other people to say, hey, can I help you? Can you, have, you can take my seat. And that's what we wanna accomplish here. But I wanna talk today about how do we make space in our own personal lives? How do you make space in your life for those that matter most? And, and here's what I just wanna put before us. In order for us to reach just one, it will require us not to do more, but to do less. We have to slow our lives down tremendously. 
I have found this to be the case. I can only operate on one agenda at a time and I can only, I can be on Tyler's agenda or I can be on the kingdom's agenda, but I can't be on both. And if my life and my day is completely and totally filled up about what matters most to Tyler, I am never going to see what God is doing among his people and in our city. Uh, I I believe this. I believe this with all my heart uh, that we walk around unaware of the kingdom of God breaking out, not because the kingdom hides from us, but because we rush right by it and we miss it. It requires us to slow our lives down, to make space in our life means to make space in our calendar to make space in our schedule. When you look at your calendar for this upcoming week, is there any space for you to be interrupted? Or is your day from, from 8 a.m. To, to 9 at night, whenever you go to bed, is it just like flush with activity? I, I, I believe this with all my heart. You cannot commit to the one if you have a million things to do. And you say, Tyler, but the million things that I have to do are important. I just, I wanna, and this is, I'm, I am so preaching at me right now. This is the, I mean, this is the thing that, that I am working on myself. I, I have a million things to do in my life, but I wasn't made to do a million things. I wasn't. And if I sit here and I'm listening to Greg or Tom preach and I go, yeah, you know, that, that's great. I hope some people take hold of it. I hope the evangelists are listening so that they can do the, the real work of reaching these people. If I say, I don't have enough time to reach just one person in 2021 with the love and kindness of God, that's an indication that I have way too much on my plate. And it's a yoke that I cannot possibly bear. We have to make space, we have to slow down, we have to be kind, we have to love well. And you know what I know about love? Love is something you say, hey man, love you, thanks so much, talk to you later. You can rush by it, but if you're going to love well, it takes time. If I said to all my husbands, hey husbands, this, this week, write a love letter to your wife, but do it in under 90 seconds. And some of you are like, well, I'm a writer and a poet, Tyler, I can do it in 90 seconds. Okay, then let's, let's talk to you. For the next 90 days then, after you write that 90 second poem, for the next 90 days, write yourself a, a page a day for your wife for 90 days and you get that 90 page thesis to her at the end of that, in that 90 second letter, you see which one she takes. If we are going to love people well as Jesus loved the world when he came, it requires us to slow down and make space in our life. The Bible says that we, those who believe in Jesus, are called to tell our story, to share the testimony of how Jesus impacted our life. I promise you this, none of your closest friends wanna hear your entire life story in one coffee break. They love you, they don't care about you that much. It require, in order to tell your story, it will require not just one meeting, but a lifestyle of expressing the goodness of God in your life and telling your story to people when they ask. And it takes time to hear other people's stories. This is what it means, Northlands, to make space in our lives. And I wanna dive into that. Now here's, now if you're a type A person right now, you're like, I can already, like you're, I'm rubbing against the grain here. Because you're like, Tyler, I've only got 80 years to live, YOLO, every day counts. I'm gonna perform, I'm gonna perform, I'm gonna perform, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do, 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 do. Here, here's what I, I, I know. I, I'm not doubting that you don't have important things in your life. I have important things in my life. And I know that you have important missions missions that you're pursuing right now, but I just wanna lay this before you. Jesus had the most important mission on the planet and has the most important mission that ever was and ever will be to save the entire world. And he didn't have 80 to 90 years like we have. He had three years to get it done. And when I look at Jesus's life and I look at his flow and his rhythm of how he operated, he was a master with making space for people. He was not in a rush. 
I've been recommended this book. I've recommended it to people. It's a phenomenal book. A guy named John Mark Comer wrote this book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And in this, he says, we were not made for this kind of hurry to chase after a million things. He said, hurry, it is a violent act against the soul. I love that. Not only if you're hurrying and rushing, do you not have time to reach the one, but you won't have time for you, the health of your own soul if you're in a constant state of hurry. This is not how Jesus operated and this is not how we were designed by Jesus to operate. We were called to preach the gospel to all nations, absolutely so important, but what he did was far more important to save all of mankind, past, present, and future, and he made space in his life and he slowed his role. We have, and this is what Comer says, we have a thing called hurry sickness. It is a medical disease, truly an actual medical term and disease. And you say, Tyler, I'm not, I'm not like a type A, I don't rush around. Let me, let me ask you some questions and you self-evaluate if you have hurry sickness. You ready for this? Say you're coming to a red light. There's two lanes of traffic. You're slowing down. Lane A has got five cars. Lane B has three cars. What lane do you go into? Why do you go into B? Because it's the shorter lane. If you're sick like I am, I look for the semi-trucks because I know when they come to a full stop, it takes them an extra five seconds to get up and go. And so if there's two uh, semi-trucks in this lane and there's 10 over here, I'm going to the 10 because I know those guys ain't moving anytime soon. And I hustle. Number two, you're at a grocery store and there's 12 lanes and there's a bunch of lanes. And instead of just stopping at the first lane you come to, what do you do? One, two, three, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, five. Going back this way. Do I have 10 items in my cart? 10 items in my cart. Do I have 10? No, I have 12. Do you think that they'll take me? Can I put, and you just like, kind of like cognito. You, you even act silly. Like you, you put two items on the shelf, you roll into 10 and you're like, oh, I think I'm going to get these two things as well. If you don't mind. And like you put and you get into express lane. Don't act like you didn't do it. You're sick. You're sick. You have hurry sickness if you multitask and you forget the first task that you started with. Pastor's being transparent right now. This week, the Lord's like, I want your message, your life to be a message. Let my life song sing to you, Lord. I go into Holly's office. I go, hey, Holly. Yes, Tyler? I was gonna say something and ask you a question about something important this week. And I don't know what it is. And she just said, well, let's have a prayer time right now. We'll pray for you now. I literally walked in her office on task to do something and was, had three or four things in my head and completely forgot what I was gonna ask Holly. This is a level of hurry sickness. And I don't see it at all in the life of Jesus. In order to make just one the priority of our lives, it will require us to slow down and to make space. And so I wanna talk about how Jesus made space. If we study the life of Jesus, what did he do practically to make space? And I just wanna put this before us and then we can head out, but I want you to put these things into practice. If we are going to make space in our lives, it will require us, number one, to be aware, to be aware. Luke 19, a fascinating piece of scripture, I just wanna read it to us, is this conversation that Jesus has with a man, a tax collector named Zacchaeus. Check out this first phrase that comes right out of verse one. It says this, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. 
when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and he welcomed him gladly. And as they are making their way to Zacchaeus's house, Zacchaeus is made aware that everybody knows who he is and the kind of man that he is and that he's a great sinner. And they begin to mock the fact that Jesus has decided to have dinner at his place. But when they get to his house, uh, because of the kindness of Jesus and walking with them, Zacchaeus repents of everything and says, if there's anything that I've taken from anyone, not only will I give it back, but I'll give it back and then some. I wanna make this right. And, and then Jesus responds in verse nine. We'll just read it quickly. It says that when Jesus heard this, he said, Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came for this purpose, to seek and to save the lost. What I love about the scripture is right at the front, Jesus is entering Jericho for this purpose to pass through. He's just making his way through. And as he is walking by, he is made aware of the fact that there is a grown man in a tree and he, he's aware of it. And he goes, now again, picture that Jesus is on the most important mission, not just of his life, of history. And he's very aware that everybody knew who Zacchaeus was. He's a tax collector. He's a horrible person. Jesus was very much aware of who he was. And so I'm going, if I am Jesus, I'm gonna go, man, I'm passing through. I got things to do. There's a grown man in the tree. Zacchaeus, come down, come down. Stop taking money from people and fix your life. And you just keep going because you're passing through. <laughs> this is why Tyler should not be Jesus. This is why I am working on my heart because I am on a mission continually. And I have found this to be the case. I cannot pursue a mission and reach people with a message at the same time. And Jesus goes, I'm not just about fixing people's financial distress in Jericho. I am here to meet Zacchaeus. And he's made aware of Zacchaeus, a man in a sycamore tree. And instead of just fixing him and moving on quickly, he goes, Zacchaeus, we gotta have dinner, bro. That's the passion translation. <laughs> he goes, we need to meet. Jesus took his time. And can I just tell you, I am so glad that Jesus didn't rush me. There were men and women in my life who if I was in their shoes, I would have walked right by me. And they didn't. They were aware of the fact that there was somebody, a great sinner who had great needs and they could invest and change my life. And I want you to know today, if you're here today and you're not a Jesus follower and you're trying to figure out this church thing, I just want you to know that the King of heaven has paused in this moment and he's not rushing. He's made very, very aware of everything that you've ever done and he is not scared to come and meet with you. This is the gospel. Not that we serve a God who is far off, but that we serve a God who is not just very near, but very aware of what we've gone through. And he's not rushing. Every single day, not just when I gave my life to him, but every single morning for 32 years of my life, he has met me in the morning and he has given me new mercies again and again and again. And again, why? Because he is not rushing the process. And I need to tell somebody here today that God does not love a better version or a future version of you. He loves you right now. He's not waiting for you to fix your life. He has come to heal and to bring wholeness to you. And he's not gonna rush the process. Why? Because we serve a creator God and he loves the creative process. It's not just enough to see a masterpiece, it's to make a masterpiece. And that is what he is doing in your life and in our life right now.
Number uh, two, if we're going to make space in our life, if we're going to be, uh, if we're gonna make space for those who are just one, those who are near in God's heart, then we have to be available. I wanna jump around in, in Mark chapter four and five. We're not gonna stay in any one space. I just want us, as we're reading this scripture, I'm gonna do my best, just take note of Jesus's day. Actually, like the, the next three days, because Jesus goes nonstop. Check out what happens. So Jesus is ministering to a, a crowd of people. And it, and it says just before the text that we're gonna read, it says they were, they were working all day, serving and ministering to people. And so then we dive into Mark chapter four, verse 35. And this is Jesus' response after serving, let's just assume eight, nine hours of ministry. I'm guaranteeing he's probably doing 10 or 12. And this is what happens. It says, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. He said, and leaving the crowd, they took him with them into the boat. Jesus said, hey, we need to get some rest. Let's get to the other side of the boat. And now what happens? I'm gonna, I'm gonna speed through this. Jesus, Jesus gets into the boat. They get to the, the, maybe the middle of the water. I have no idea where they were, but all of a sudden a storm comes and it's a significant storm. Because, because Jesus and his disciples, or Jesus' disciples, a lot of them were fishermen. So they'd seen the waves, they've seen winds before, but this was something different. And so uh, when, when they realize they are way over their head and they could die, they decide to wake Jesus up. And you know, it's a bad problem when you decide to wake your boss up. Like, hey, so it says in verse 38, but he was in the stern, Jesus, asleep on a cushion and they woke him and they said to him, they were pleading with him, hey Lord, we are, we are about to die. We, we need your help. And so he gets up and he said, tells the storm to be quiet. Now I bring that up only because works all day, doesn't get a night's sleep. And he's now coming to the other side. Let's keep going. He gets to the other side and it says this, they came to the other side of the sea to the country of Jersin. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, works all day, no sleep. As soon as he steps out, it says immediately, there met him out of the tombs, a man with unclean spirits. And again, we're just, I just want you to get a sense of Jesus's time. He steps out and immediately is met with a man with unclean spirits. He casts out the demons into a herd of pigs. Those pigs dive off, poor pigs, they dive off a cliff into the waves and, and, and then they die. And this man is healed of the unclean spirits. The people hear this because they knew the man just like Jericho knew Zacchaeus and they see what Jesus had accomplished and they were freaked out by it. And so they say, Jesus, we don't want you here. And so Jesus works all day, no sleep, gets out of the boat, immediately gets back in the boat and crosses back to where he came from. Sails back, let's keep reading. Jesus is having a day. And when Jesus had crossed again to the, the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. Now on the way to a life or death mission, talk about an important thing going on probably the most important that he had dealt with in the last 48 hours. On the way to that appointment, this happens. And a crowd followed him and a throng about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. I just feel for that woman where she goes to multiple doctors. They can't fix the problem. She spent all of her money trying to fix it and there's still... Uh, nothing. She is incredibly frustrated and broken and depressed, no doubt, and also being physically uh, just torn down day in and day out. 
She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And hear this, she does it. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Now, here's what I wanna say. She came and she got exactly what she wanted. And if I'm Jesus on a mission to save a little girl who's dying, I go, great. I was touched, the power went out, which he's made aware of. We'll read that in just a moment. He's made aware that the power went from him and he healed the woman. If I'm Jesus, I walk, I feel that, and I keep moving. She got what she came for. Keep moving. And that's not what Jesus does. Jesus is walking, 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 and then what happens? Somebody touches him and he goes, listen, and Jesus perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him immediately, turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and you, uh, you ask, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. If I'm his disciples, I'm, I am, if I'm his COO, I'm moving him through the crowd. Come on, we don't have time for this, Jesus. And they're confused. They're going, Jesus, we are on our way to heal a little girl. We're doing the father's work. What are you stopping for? And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. I've just been made aware that something has happened that's unique and I wanna stop because Jesus wasn't just after healing a woman's body. Jesus was interested in connecting with just the one and he wasn't going to move until he had done that. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Jesus goes on and he heals the little girl. She dies and he raises her from the dead. So he hits all of this. What I am fascinated by is that Jesus had an agenda for that day. A lot of things were going on, but his mission was not being interrupted. His interruptions were his mission. And his life was set up in such a way that he made himself available, not to those that he was just pursuing, but to those who had need and needed him. And I'm telling you, Northlands Church, there are people that don't just need a good Christian, they need you. They need you to be able to stop and to slow down and to make yourself available. I am so grateful that the king of the universe who holds everything into existence has time to pursue my heart every single day and he makes himself available. And if you're here today and you're saying, Tyler, I'm too far gone. I have, I've walked away from God. I'm a hundred million miles away. I want you to know today that we serve a God who can cover a hundred million miles in a single step. And he's making himself available to you right now. I don't think it's a mistake that you came into this meeting. I believe that many of us come with great needs and you know what, we serve a great God who has made time for each and every one of us. Number three. Number three, if we're going to make space in our lives and prepare to receive the people that are near and dear to God's heart, we have to be kind. We have to be kind. I love Galatians 5, to 23. It's talking about the fruit of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit. Jesus was never in a rush because he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in anybody who calls on the name of Jesus. We are empowered by the same spirit. And you go, how do you know if somebody is empowered by the spirit of God? They have the fruit of the spirit on their life. Galatians talks about it, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And you know the thing about fruit, in order for it to grow and mature, it will require time and attention. And this fruit is no different. If you're going to operate in this way, if your life is going to be in an unforced rhythm of grace, it will require you to slow 
down. Because this is what the Spirit calls. I, I, I don't think, even though the Bible says that the Spirit is like the wind, I don't believe we miss the invisible things of the kingdom of God because he's rushing like the wind and he's moving so fast that we can't see him. I think he is here with us right now and we are moving fast. And Jesus is saying, calm down your heart so that you might receive from him today. Don't rush this process. To be kind to somebody is no small thing. It's one of the fruits of the spirit, but to be kind to somebody, for them to taste the fruit of your life and the fruit of the spirit, it will require you to slow down so that they can taste it. And I have committed to myself in a world where we are just about influencers and reaching millions of people. I I have come to this conclusion for my own life and I implore you to do the same, that I would rather reach just one empowered by the spirit than try and be an influencer to millions in my own striving and strength. Because one is fruitless and one, it can be incredibly fruitful. Do not overlook a small single seed and what it can accomplish. Number three, or number four rather. Not only do we serve an incredibly kind God, but he's not looking for a better version of you. He wants you to be you. In order to make space in our lives, he is not asking you to come and to change everything about yourself so that you're no longer who he made you to be. He's asking you to be you, but a transformed version that met Jesus. I love the story of the woman at the well in John 4, the account of, of this woman who meets Jesus and her story and her testimony, what she said. You go, because when we talk about evangelism, we talk about sharing the gospel and sharing our lives, we, we have these things. I don't know a ton of the Bible. I'm not really good at debating. I'm not a pastor. I don't know a lot of this, this technical stuff. I get worried. What if they ask a question and I don't know the answers? Uh, this woman made it incredibly clear and incredibly plain when she met Jesus and she was transformed by him. She ran into the city that everybody knew her and her testimony and her story was a simple one. She said this, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? She rushes in and, and you go, Tyler, is that enough? I don't know, don't, don't you have to walk through like tulip and how do we figure this thing out? And what, do we do the apostles creed? I don't really know all this. She comes to them and it says this in, in verse 39 of John four, many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And just to clarify, what was the woman's testimony? He told me everything I ever did. And that was enough for them to believe. Tell your story, tell your story, tell your story. God's not looking for some polished version of you. He is looking for every single one of us to tell the world about him. What has Jesus done in your life? Tell him that. In order to make space in our lives for those that matter most to God, I'm just gonna go through these once again and we'll close out. We must be aware. Can I just challenge us this week? Wherever you go, whether it's a restaurant or a coffee shop or a library the zoo, I don't, the school. Wherever you go, I understand that you are there for a purpose. If you go into a coffee shop, what's your purpose? I'm getting a coffee and then I'm going about my day. When you walk into that coffee shop, can you say, Lord, my agenda is a coffee, but would you make me aware of the man in the tree? Would you make me aware? Because the kingdom of God is working all around us and it is not hiding from us. We just have to slow down and say, Holy Spirit, I wanna be a part of what you are doing. And right now in this room, the Lord is speaking to some of you for the very first time and he is going, I'm aware of you. I am very aware of you. You're not here by accident. He doesn't want you to rush through this moment. Number two, to make space in our lives for what Jesus wants to accomplish in our lives, we have to be available. Can I just challenge us? Look at your calendar. 
for this upcoming week and just ask the question, am I living a life that is interruptible? Are people allowed to stop me and ask questions? And if not, I would encourage you to reprioritize. Maybe a helpful practice would be, maybe would you just consider tithing four or five of your hours of your work week and saying, Lord, I'm just gonna leave, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sporadically spread these out through my days. Would you just make me available to people when it's time for me to connect? Number three, be kind. Don't overestimate something that is literally called the fruit of the spirit. In kindness, it takes time and it takes attention. When you interact with somebody this week, this week, when somebody engages with you, whether it's a stranger, a neighbor, a friend, ask this question in your own heart. What would kindness do in this situation? What does love require of me? I love, I love 2 Corinthians. Some translations it says, love compels us. In other translations, it says love controls us. What does love require of me? And whatever the answer is for that interaction, do that. I don't know what to say, Tyler. Just do whatever love requires. And number four, be you. Tell your story. Your story is not an insignificant thing. I don't care what your background is. I don't care what your experience is. Your story, it matters to the heart and mind of God. And it matters to us. If you're here today and you're saying, I think Jesus is beginning to write my story. I want to hear that story. It matters to God and it matters to me. And it matters to so many people here. Your story, it matters. And we want to hear it. I want to come and do dinner with you. I want to come and have a coffee with you. I want to hear about everything that Jesus is doing in your life. And I want to tell you about what Jesus has done in this man's life. If you're here today, again, I just, I think that there's some people here. It is not a mistake that you are here. It is not, it is not some random accident. I think in Zacchaeus' mind, he goes, man, I'm just going to climb this tree just so I can see over the crowds. And that feels like such a random act. That was not random. That was a divine appointment. And Jesus was aware that the spirit of God was moving and he made himself available for Zacchaeus. And today you are in a seat right now and Jesus is saying, I'm aware of you and I wanna be available for you. You're not an interruption to me. If you're here today and, and you've never asked Jesus to walk with you in your life, I just want to encourage you, invite him to walk with you right now. There's not a specific prayer that has to be prayed. It's just simply an acknowledgement of saying, Jesus, like Zacchaeus, like the woman at the well, it's the acknowledgement, an acknowledgement that we've all had to do as we've met Jesus. We have to acknowledge, man, I am broken. I cannot fix myself. But fortunately, we serve a God who is not just great at fixing problems, but it is his joy to make all things whole. This is what our creator God does. He makes things come alive. He did not come into the world to make bad people good. He came into the world to make dead people alive. This is the gospel. And so as we pray today, let's just bow our heads as we pray and we close out of our time. I'm just gonna ask you if, if you're here today and you're saying, Jesus, I just want more of you in my life. Jesus, I, I, I need to understand who, who you are. Would you show me who you are? I love Romans 2, chapter 4. It is the kindness of God that leads men to change and to transform and to repent. God does not start off the first impression with a sinner with wrath and judgment. No, wrath and judgment was on the, the shoulders of Christ. That's why he came. He came and he gave his very best. The very first impression of heaven to a sinful world was the righteousness of Christ entering it. Emmanuel, God among us. And when he was among us, 
he wanted us to taste the kindness and the goodness and the mercy and the grace of our heavenly father. And so Jesus, you see our hearts and our minds laid before you. For all those who are calling out now for rescue, Lord, would you, would you meet with them now? Would you show up? Whether, whether they feel like they're 100 million miles away, I know that you are here now in this moment and you are not moving. You are not rushing by. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your life that you give us, the air that you, you breathe into our lungs. And we thank you for it this week, Lord, help us as a church community, love our city well, help us to be made acutely aware of the just one the one that matters most to you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. If you prayed that prayer, if you asked Jesus to to walk with you in your life, to accept him as your Lord and Savior, I would love to meet you after the service in the front lobby. My friend Russell and I, uh, we're gonna be there in the lobby. You'll see a sign, it'll look just like that. Did you accept Jesus today? We wanna know what Jesus has done in your life and I'd love to talk with you. So right after the service, if you'd meet us out in the front lobby here, just behind that wall, I'd love to meet you. I'm gonna hand it off to Russell though. Amen. Thank you, Ty.